0: Well, I'd like to begin our time by asking you if you've ever been to an art gallery. Raise your hand if you've had the opportunity to visit an art gallery. When Victoria and I lived up in the San Fernando Valley, we lived uh, right up the freeway from the Getty Museum. And so we had an opportunity to go down to the Getty and look at the, the, the various paintings and art exhibits. And we saw many beautiful displays. Even the, the structure, the construction of the Getty Museum itself is very, uh, very unique. And so I would encourage you, if you've never been, to take the opportunity. They also have a nice little uh, cafeteria in there. It's actually not a little cafeteria. It's really g- good size with a, uh, a good menu on it. And um, it's really just a blessing to have an opportunity to go there to look at uh, the the art. And some of the paintings are just remarkable. They, they're just filled with exquisite detail. And you look at them, and they're just surreal. And it just makes you celebrate the giftedness that that God <laughs> blessed somebody with the ability to to paint something in such an extraordinary fashion. While there are other paintings that just might seem a little ordinary to you. Maybe they don't Capture your attention quite as much. Well, if we're honest, I think this can resemble our experience in reading and studying God's Word. Some accounts provide vivid imagery and make lasting impressions in our minds and on our hearts, and then some just seem a little bit ordinary. Well, today in Mark 10, Jesus paints an extraordinarily beautiful picture. And he does so by using children as an object lesson. And I want to invite you to turn there. It's one of the most beautiful illustrations in the New Testament. It's an illuminating picture of the gospel as believers who, like spiritual children, are welcomed into God's family and into the kingdom of God through the blessing and ministry of Jesus Christ. And it's easy to miss the main point of the passage and that can easily happen if we allow ourselves to be too focused on the literal aspect of children. Some have errantly uh, viewed this passage and, and, and used it as a proof text for infant baptism. And I'm going to share a little bit more about that later in the message. The main point of the passage is not about children, it's not, but on the kind of people. Who may enter the kingdom of God? There's also a combination, a commendation of coming to Jesus and bringing others to Jesus in the passage that we'll be blessed to see. And this is why I've titled the message: "Are you ready to enter the kingdom?" What spiritual lessons does Jesus teach his disciples by using this picture of children? In what ways can your heart and mind be vulnerable to the same response that the disciples had? God's inerrant and infallible word says this in Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. And please follow along as I read. And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Pray with me and let's ask God to bless the study of his word. Faithful Father, we bow our heads again, thanking you for the privilege that we have to study this passage. Help us to embrace its precepts. Help us to embrace its promises. Help us to learn more about Christ and the glorious gospel truths embedded within his instruction for our hearts. Remove from our minds earthly distractions that prevent us from seeing all that you have for us. Grant us insights that will increase our understanding of you. We come to you as needy children, spiritual children, and we pray for your illuminating work of the Holy Spirit to guide us in our continued worship and our continued study. Impress the truth of your word upon our hearts and help us to see its heights, its depths, and its wonders. Help us to see the clear picture that Jesus paints for us in this passage. We ask this in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, you'll notice in the outline how I've framed our study, and we're going to be looking at three pictures from this passage so that you and I and everyone that we minister to can be prepared to enter the kingdom of God. First, we'll picture our need to be helped like children in verse 13. Second, we'll picture the passion of our Lord's response in verses 14 and 15. And lastly, we'll picture the incredible love that Jesus provides for us in the end in verse 16. But before jumping into this first picture, it will help us to see the context of where This passage is located in the flow of Mark's gospel. Jesus, as we know, has just rocked the disciples' world and and the Pharisees as they heard his teaching as well about marriage and divorce. Not only did he describe and expose the fact that the scribes and Pharisees had a distorted view of marriage and divorce, but in the process, it exposed their distorted view and ill treatment of women. In the end, it revealed their great need for Christ and the gospel. As many of them were spiritually gridlocked into uh, into adultery because of their divorce situation. Now Jesus is going to, <clears throat> excuse me, hammer their spiritual pride again, and he does so by using the example of children, which of course are a byproduct of marriage. And here Jesus will focus on their distorted view of children, using it again, as a platform for the gospel. In general, our American culture has a much higher view of children than that which existed during this time period. Listen to what James Edward writes. The modern West regards tenderness to children as a virtue. Relief organizations appeal for support by showing little lives disfigured by hunger and war. Politicians secure votes by holding and kissing infants. Ancient Jewish society, however, did not regard children with the same affection. Children, like women, derived their position in society primarily from their relationship to adult males. Sons, to be sure, were regarded as a blessing from God, but largely because they ensured the continuance of the family for another generation and increased its workforce. Childhood was typically regarded as an unavoidable interim between birth and adulthood, which a boy reached at age 13. One will search Jewish and early Christian literature in vain, in vain sympathy toward the young comparable to that shown by Jesus. End quote. We see additional evidence of a low view of children in the, the nativity when Herod ordered the execution. You recall uh, in the nativity scene, right? All of the kids that were um, slaughtered age two and under One commentator concludes children occupied a precarious position in the Hellenistic society of the first century. Sometimes children were loved and sometimes exploited depending upon how they were perceived as benefiting the family. He also shares children clearly were not presumed to be blessings in the non-Christian culture of Christ's day, end quote. So this historical context serves as an important backdrop for us, as we look at the pictures provided in our passage today, let's get started with the first one. Picture our need to be helped like children. Look again at verse 13. And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. A verse starts out by saying they were bringing children. And in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, In all three accounts, they is anonymous. We don't know who it is uh, specifically. We know that through the context, because the, the disciples were opposed, we know it certainly wasn't they who brought them. We get a little bit of a hint in Luke's account because it describes the children in Luke's account as babies or infants. And so it's probable that these were mothers who were bringing their children uh, to, to Jesus. This means that it also connected and builds a bridge to our previous context. Because you'll recall, right, women were viewed with contempt, right? Looked down upon, treated unequally, right? And now it's women who are actually carrying their infants And they are the ones who are bringing infants who equally would have been viewed by the culture with contempt. And all this, by the way, is related to the servant theme in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand. You'll recall back in Mark 9, verses 36 and 37, when he taught on the attitude of servanthood. And since it's so close, we might as well just flip back a page and look at it. Mark 9, 36 records Jesus Taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whosoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. And in that study, we learned that that child represented a believer in, in the context. It was uh, the, the man who was performing Uh, Casting out demons and and doing ministry in Jesus' name, in the the following verses. And do you recall what Jesus said to the disciples about that man? What did he say? What were the words? Do not hinder him. Right? Remember, if he's not uh, against us, he's he's for us. And and this is we're going to see that uh, that same verb, do not hinder, um, again. In our passage today. In, now in Mark 10:13, Jesus is going to use children to symbolize believers. Verse 13 continues, and it says that they were bringing the children so that He might touch them. Unlike the Hellenistic uh, culture, and by Hellenistic, I mean the, the, the Greek influence culture, okay? And in the pagan cultures of the day, the nation of Israel was supposed to have a higher view of children and the family, which many of them did. It was a Hebrew tradition for Jewish parents to bring their children to prominent rabbis to receive a blessing. And this was a classic Jewish custom that stemmed all the way back to the time when the patriarch Israel laid his hands upon Ephraim and Manasseh back in Genesis chapter 48. And again, this goes all the way back to Genesis. And I found this to be a fascinating parallel because when Jesus affirmed the equality of man and woman, right, he, he, he went all the way back to the foundation of Genesis to help them to see the foundation of marriage according to God's design. And now we have this tradition, and though it wasn't prescribed, it was very popular Amongst the Jews, that could be traced all the way back to Genesis as well, and it emphasized the blessing of children. So, what we have taking place here in Mark ten thirteen is a picture of parents trying to be faithful in pointing their children to the Lord, and seeking a rabbi out to pray for them was a good thing. It was a it was a positive thing. The parents it reflect their heart to be faithful to the God of Israel. They went to leaders who they believed would be faithful, and they said, would you be able to pray for my son or my daughter to receive a blessing from the Lord? Parents were also prescribed to instruct their children in the things of the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, where Israel is urged to obey God's law, in verse 10 it says, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so they may learn to fear me all the days they live on earth, and that they may teach their children. Same chapter, Deuteronomy 4, again in verse 40. So you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I am giving you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may live long on the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Children have always been important to the Lord. They have always been significant in his eyes. They are not insignificant. They're not a lesser priority in terms of God's people. So here in Mark 10, Jesus allows children to serve as a platform to teach the disciples a great spiritual lesson. Don't view them, don't view anyone for that matter, as insignificant. He wanted them to picture everyone's need to be helped just like children. But you can see how the disciples respond in verse 13. 13. They rebuked those who brought the children. The reason why they rebuked them, it's not stated directly, but it's been suggested that they thought Jesus was too busy or too important to be bothered by such insignificant persons. And this is got to be concerning for Jesus at this point because they're, they're coming up basically on the three-year mark of doing ministry together. And Jesus has continued to faithfully lead by example and how he ministered to everyone. He, he was a minister to those who were demon-possessed. He was ministered to the lepers, to the blind, to the lame, to the moral outcasts of society, men, women, children, Jews, Gentiles. It didn't matter because they were all significant in his sight. He was showing them the significance of the soul, not the significance of the societal standard. And consequently, this is why Jesus responds the way that he does, which brings us to the second point in the picture that we need to see. Picture the passion of our Lord's response. Here it'll be good to understand the significance of his rebuke in verse 14 and the severity of his warning in verse 15. Let's start with the significance of his rebuke. Look at verse 14. Well, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And to say that Jesus was upset here is an understatement. And the term indignant, it's not... One that, we, you don't even hear that, I, I, at least I don't, you don't hear that word used very, very much in, in our vernacular anymore. It's not, it's not common. The Greek word occurs only here in the New Testament. It's an example of legomena. word only used once in the New Testament. And it's a combination of two words, much and to grieve. He was much grieved or very upset with them. It can also mean to arouse, to anger, or to vent oneself and express displeasure. James Edwards writes, The object of a person's indignation reveals a great deal about that person. Jesus' displeasure here reveals his compassion and defense of the helpless, vulnerable, and powerless. End quote. And this is why Jesus goes on to say, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. And we got to remember that the disciples here continue to have this war that's going on within their hearts. It's a prideful war in the hearts. Impacted by that, the Herod or or the leaven of Herod, right? We talked about that in the past. That that, um, social status and significance was was something that they desired. It's directly related to the the conversation that they were having with each other about who among them was going to be the greatest. Children weren't significant, at least from a social and political standpoint in their eyes. And and honestly, the the women who were carrying the children weren't significant in their eyes as well. So it shouldn't surprise us that, that they just rebuke them and say, later, Get out of here. Okay, we got, we got more important things to contend with. And Jesus, indig- indignant, says, hold up. Wait a minute. It's like, don't you guys get this? Haven't you been watching me minister? They are significant. They are They need to be in your eyes if you men are going to be a servant of all. And Jesus is featuring the significance of the lowly from a societal standpoint while at the same time rebuking the disciples for being focused on their own self-importance and significance. Man, does this speak right to the heart of every believer Our pride can pose a great threat to gospel ministry as sometimes we determine in our minds who's worthy, who's worthy to come to Christ, who's worthy of me to to share the gospel with. And if we're not careful before you know it, we can cultivate an attitude of of personal favoritism and exclusivism as it relates to our willingness to share the gospel. As I was preparing for this message this week, uh, usually my my tradition is to come in on Saturday mornings, and I I come to the office here at the church. It's quiet. I'm able just to to pray and uh, just to go through my notes and sometimes even finish my sermon. Um, Just truth being said, on crazy busy weeks like this last one. And I, w- I was here, the worship team's here sometimes, so it's a, 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 a great time to hear the music even through the wall, like what's going to be uh, sang, um, really, really a special, a special time. And as I was um, coming into the office, there were a couple people that were sitting out on uh, our church patio, and they were homeless, transients, and... Um, Th- this patio has been uh, a ministry platform for me, typically, because sometimes people wait for the, the train across the street. They come over, they sit here. Sometimes they smoke and have, have a cigarette break right over here too, and they don't want to smoke around other people, so they come over here. I, I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with them sitting. I just usually explain to them that you know, hey, can you pick up your your stuff? And th- that was the case. I knew Vineyard was going to have their service. And so I just said, hey, and they, they were kind of getting up, and I said, you don't have to get up. Just, you can stay, but just know that there's going to be a church service here and that you just take all your stuff with you when you go. And I went in. And, and typically, um, when I see people, I, 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 if it's hot day, I'll take out a bottle of water, and then I'll, I'll share a gospel track and just have an opportunity. But it, I was in a rush yesterday. And I came in and was going straight to my notes, and my heart was just burdened because I realized what my mindset was. You know where I'm going with this? That if they if they would have been not homeless, if they would have been just the average Joe, maybe I, my heart would have been more inclined to go in and get a gospel tracking and, and, and come back out. And the Lord used this situation, this 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 passage really to impact me in such a way that I was like, I, I, I'm going to get them something to drink. And I went back out and I had the opportunity to share the gospel with both of them. And talked ab- about how the Lord Jesus Christ can break the power of addiction. Talked about that how the Lord can um, work in such a way that forgiveness can be obtained as it relates to family and that you can go home and you can be at home and honor the Lord, and we talked about all that, and, and um, it really was a unique opportunity, and uh, I'll never forget this, so the, the man, they're, they're, they're getting up um, because they're, they're going to leave and clear out by that point, um, not because of our conversation. They had tears in their eyes when I was talking to them about forgiveness, and don't you ever wish that you could have a new start on life and that your life could start all over again? And then talking about the new birth, talking about being born again and that your life can actually, you can have a brand new start on life, a new lease on life in the Lord. They have tears in their eyes. And so they, they get up and I just said, you know, that it was nice to... Uh, meet them, and that I was going to be praying for them. And you know what the guy turned back and said to me? He said, we love you. We love you. I was just shocked. I came back in, and I I sat down. And um, I share this not to exalt myself as some great example, because nine times out of ten, I've been a failure in that regard, because I've... I've looked and my heart is bent towards favoritism or exclusivism and I don't consider the fact and see the value of the soul. Every soul. Every soul. It was a rebuke to my heart. And yet I was thankful. And and the Lord is patient with us. He gives, he stretches us. He's not done with us. It's not done with your pastor. We're still continuing to grow. We're, We're still continuing to excel. And we must see the value of every soul regardless. We must see their desperate need for Christ. And in verse 14, Jesus says, do not hinder them. And this word translated, hinder, is used three times in the book of Acts and once in Matthew's gospel. And it's all in connection with baptism. And as a result, some commentators and theologians have claimed that Jesus meant that children were not to be hindered from being baptized. And I want to share with you that this really is an example of what we call eisegesis, reading an idea into the text rather than exegesis, drawing out the meaning of the text. But I, I wanted to share that with you so you are aware of it. It's true that some in the second century and, and later church used this passage to justify the practice of infant baptism. And so, a closer look at the context is going to help us. Is the focus really to be on physical children? The word children and verses. 13 and 14 and even in 16 refers to literal children who were brought to Jesus. But whom do the words such as these in verse 14 and like a little child in verse 15 refer to? Do they refer to literal children or to adults who possess childlike characteristics? Without going into the question of the extent to which children can be part of the kingdom of God, the expressions of uh, uh, certainly, focus on older people who, in their relationship to God, possess childlike characteristics. Okay, there's, and, and as I was preparing for this, as I listened to some other messages, there it was amazing to me how many different tangents you could actually go off on on this passage. But I want to make sure that we see and focus on the main point. What are these childlike characteristics? And here we need to understand the severity of Christ's warning given in verse 15. It's going to help us. Look at what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. This is a little side note but that expression at the beginning of the verse, truly I say to you. It's the Greek word amen, where we get the tradition when people usually uh, speak the truth, right? And people respond and they say, amen, right? That's, that's where it comes from. This is an example. This is highlighting the emphasis of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus uses this expression for emphasis. In order for someone to enter the kingdom of God, they must receive it like a child or they'll not be able to enter. What characteristics is Jesus emphasizing here? Some have suggested humility, innocence, receptivity, sincerity, trustfulness. But not all children share these characteristics. And God's Word certainly doesn't teach that children are naturally innocent, humble, or receptive. And those who have spent any time with children, it doesn't take you very long before you realize that you're holding a little ball of depravity, right? <laughs> the little sinners, they are. You know, I was holding mercy. This was just within the last couple weeks. Um, you know, she's she's precious and um, cute. It's a bug, so. Looks so innocent, right? (laughs) So receptive, so trustworthy, right? Holding her and she's got a toy in her hand and all of a sudden Liam comes up and he sees her and and he grabs the toy right out of her hand. And he stands there in front and he's just smiling. And her face, the countenance of her face went from like this to... And she goes, whap! And just bopped him right on the nose. (laughs) We didn't have to teach her that. <laughs> we didn't, right? That is, that is um, every thought and intent of the heart of man is evil, evil continually. And that's from the youth, from their youth, according to Genesis 8.21. That foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, Proverbs 22.15. They are little Sinners that need to be saved by the grace of God. So, what characteristics is Jesus referring to that people who enter the kingdom of God should have? Listen to what R. Kent Hughes writes For starters, coming as a little child does not infer innocence. Any two year old dispels such an ocean. Neither does like a little child suggest the wondrous. Subjective states we often find in children such as trustfulness, receptivity, simplicity, or wonder. Beautiful as these are. What Jesus has in mind here is an objective state which every child who has ever lived, regardless of race, culture, or background, has experienced. Helpless dependence. Every single child in the world is absolutely, completely, totally, objectively, subjectively, existentially helpless. Pretty thorough right there with that. And so it is with every child who is born into the kingdom of God. Children of the kingdom enter it helpless. Ones for whom everything must be done. Then he quotes the, the, the lyric. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. There is no other fundamental meaning for verse 15. And he finished by asking, have you come to Christ like this? End quote. Have you come to Christ confessing your helpless estate? Have you come to Christ spiritually bankrupt, realizing that in order to be a child of God, in order to have access and to enter the kingdom of God, that you cannot bring anything with you? There is no positive elements. There are no no good works. There are no good deeds that you can bring with you. You must come. In humility, and you must recognize the fact that you are helpless. If you have, then you're prepared to enter the kingdom of God. If you haven't, then the severity of Christ's warning in verse 15 needs to be heeded. You will not enter the kingdom of God. And when you realize that you are as helpless as a child, this naturally fosters the need for humility. Humility. And Jesus gave a reference to this connection in a similar but separate statement. In Matthew 18, verses 3 and 4, he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change, that we can be, um, are converted. Unless you're converted and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The disciples needed to see it. We need to see it. And we have a responsibility and a divine call to help others to see it. The world is in a helpless state. And we must help them. And I was thinking about this. I don't know that I've ever recalled a time in our country where there was so much division and so much turmoil, so much conflict. That makes the, the, the entire nation so prime for the gospel. Many feel hopeless, and they should, because they are. They, 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 they're going to constantly put their hope in things that are going to continue to disappoint. Right? It's just the way it is. That's the nature of politics I mean, the offices are always going to change. There's going to be, it's going to go back and forth between a Republican and a Democrat, right? We get that. That's the way that it's set up. But we need to point them to Christ and the hope that does not disappoint. disappoint. And, I, and I have a question for you. And this is for my own heart, too, and I've already answered it. did the election serve you or did you serve the election? Let me explain what I mean by that. You served the election if you got caught up in the whole political landscape and were slinging mud and caring too much about this candidate and that candidate and this perspective and that perspective, and, and if you are throwing mud at people, and if you are critical and lobbying for leverage by saying this, right, and, and this is the way things got to be, right, then you serve the election because that is what everybody in this world was doing, Right? But I want to talk about how the election can serve you. How it can serve us and our purposes, right? Because we do have that message of hope. We do have the gospel. We do have what people need and what they need to hear so that they can have a right perspective. And God can do that work in their heart. God can help them see And yes, there's the, an inclination that there's a more conservative view on the Republican side. I'm not discounting that. I get that. It's like, Pastor John, aren't you familiar with any uh, politics and that there's there's conservative? I get that. I get that. And I, and I do want to see traditional marriage upheld. And I do want to see life protected. And I do want to see all these things. But you know what? I want more than all of that. I want the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel to be exalted, and I want to see people come to saving faith in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. And that is, we cannot lose sight of that. And I'll be honest, it was a war. I'm so, you know, I'm so glad the election process is over. And I'm sure that I'm not alone in the room. But let me just say, as it relates to the war, it still continues. The battle for truth still continues. And so we have to be faithful to our gospel call, to our gospel ministry. We have to help them see their need for Christ, to put their hope in Christ. Well, we have pictured our need to be helped like children. We have seen and understood the passion of our Lord's response Lastly, let's picture the love that Jesus provides. Look at verse 16. And he, Jesus, took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. It's remarkable how often when we're uh, reading through the gospel accounts that we see Christ's love for children and his interactions with people. We see Christ's love for children as he celebrates the delight of a mother uh, on giving birth in John sixteen twenty one, the gentle love of a father who cuddles his children. In Luke eleven seven, the parental love which listens to a child's every request. Matthew seven nine, Luke eleven eleven, many of his miracles involve children. The nobleman's little son in John four forty six to fifty four, the demonized only son of the man at the Mount of Transfiguration that we got to study in Mark nine fourteen through twenty nine. Jairus' daughter, to whom Jesus tenderly said, Talitha cum, little lamb, arise, in Mark 5 41. Jesus truly, as a man and God, loved children. He did. And brothers and sisters, we are those children. We are those children in his arms. He has taken us into his arms, and he has made us his very own. And not only this, but he continues to bless us. He continues to protect us with his hands. He continues to uphold us when life hurts and it challenges us. When the doubting world around us is trying to, to pull us down. When sickness, tragedy, The sudden loss of a loved one strikes. Do not fret. He will uphold you with his righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10 The Lord says, Do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look around you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Amen. And what a beautiful picture. That is our Lord. That is the picture that is being painted for us to see. Well, to conclude our time, I want you to imagine that you received a personal invitation to the Getty Museum this week. Only you are invited to attend. And when you arrive, the curator in charge of the museum invites you to come back to a special room that contains three very unique paintings. The first painting shows men and women carrying those who are helpless. Nobody is significant in the painting. Just ordinary people carrying those who are weak and helpless. The second painting is quite different. It shows people blocking a single road and not letting people pass through it. The people blocking the road are defiant and proud, and they're holding their noses up high in the air. The third painting shows a glorious scene. It is a radiant picture, and one like you have never seen before. It includes people of all different ages, races, being welcomed into the arms of Jesus. The joy and expressions in the painting are like nothing you have ever seen before. The curator says to you, I want you to take these pictures home with you, for they are yours. I want you to hang them in a strategic place in your home so that they will be a reminder to you as to what is most important in this life. Brothers and sisters, these pictures from Mark 10 are ours to take home with us. These are the pictures that Jesus provided for us that he wants us to take home and he does want us to hang them up and he does want us not to forget and he does want us to see what they represent. And to be honest, as I reflected on even this this application, there are times where I can identify with each, right? And the day is going to come and we eagerly anticipate it where the kingdom is going to be forever and we are going to behold his presence And we're going to be captured. But until that time, until that time, we must continue to press forward. May we hang them up strategically in our hearts and in our homes so that we don't ever forget. Pray with me.